All right. Well, happy Palm Sunday, everybody. Can you believe that it's almost Easter already? So thankful that it's spring. Let's just declare it's spring right now. It's spring. It's beautiful out. It's going to be great. I want to welcome those of you who are watching in our campuses in Waterbury, New Milford, and Derby. My name is Brian, and uh, those of you who are watching online as well. And we are in our series right now called The Road to Easter. I challenged you last week to get on the road with Jesus, to travel with him. And maybe if you're in one of the campuses, you didn't hear this challenge, but I've been challenging you to read through Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20 through 28, leading up to Easter. I want to encourage you to do that, to get on the road with Jesus, to walk with him, uh, to really open your eyes and ask the Lord to reveal himself to you as we lead up to Easter. And so today, we're going to be talking about the road that led Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And I'm going to be joined by one of our pastors here, Pastor Greg Flower, who's one of our youth pastors. And so I'm really excited about that as we talk about Jesus entering in to Jerusalem. You know, I wonder for you, has there any, ever been a person that's walked into your life, entered your life, and it changed everything? Has that ever happened for you? Somebody came into your life, someone came into your life, and because of their entrance into your life, it changed everything. I can think of this on a very surface level, but I can also think of this at a very personal level as well. On the surface level, I can think of that first time I saw Wayne Gretzky play hockey. <laughs> I thought to myself, I've never seen anything like this before. It changed everything for me. He went to where the puck would be, not where it was. Nobody was doing this yet. I can remember seeing Michael Jordan play basketball for the first time. I thought, wow, I've never seen anybody do anything like this. Maybe if we're in a little bit of a different generation, you remember Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and you saw him do one of those hook shots, and you're like, what? Like, well, we've never seen anything like this before. It changed everything. Thing. I remember seeing Tiger Woods play golf for the first time and he took a tee shot and it went like 30, 40 yards past anybody else. I thought, wow, this changes everything. On a more personal level, I remember when I was in high school, our youth pastor came. His name was Rob Strong and he came to the church and when he entered, it changed everything for me. He helped me see what it meant to be a vibrant follower of Jesus, somebody who loved the Lord at all costs, changed everything. I remember when I went to college and then after school, I got my first job at a Lutheran church and a guy named Paul Dean took a risk on me. It changed everything. Now you're labored with me <laughs> because of him. <laughs> changed everything. I remember when Becca walked into the room it changed everything. Let me tell you, it changed everything. Still does. Still does. Who for you, when they walk in the room, it changes everything? Friends, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, when he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, it changed everything. Changed everything. In fact, when we look at the entrance of Jesus in Jerusalem, we, we learn a lot of different lessons about Jesus then, on that day when he walked into Jerusalem. But we also learn a lot of different lessons about how he enters our lives today. 
And so I'm gonna invite Pastor Greg to come up and, and begin our sermon today as we talk about four ways that Jesus enters into Jerusalem, what we have to learn from him as he enters into Jerusalem, how he enters our life. And, and our prayer today is that Jesus would enter, that he'd enter our lives, that he'd enter into our thinking, that he'd enter right now, and that he'd speak to us. So Pastor Greg, take it from here. <laughs> so many of you know, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I saw the first Star Wars movie, 1977, in the movie theater, and that's something that changed everything for me. <laughs> Seeing that movie, it just, I just fell in love with the whole saga. And so I, I, I've seen that movie over and over. I have watched that movie more times than I can count. I, I can quote that movie. I, I discuss that movie over and over. So you can imagine my surprise in 1996 when I was having a conversation with my friend John and he casually mentioned this scene where a, a, a stormtrooper bashes his head on the, on the door. What, what are you talking about, John? I, I, that didn't happen. I, I've never seen that. So we pull out the movie. We cue up the scene. Sure enough, there's R2 and 3PO hiding in a control room in the Death Star and the stormtroopers discover them and as the stormtroopers force the door open, they come, they come into the room and the stormtrooper on the far right-hand side of the screen literally hits his head as he walks through the door. I, I had never noticed that before. I had never seen that. And yet now, every time I watch the movie, that's what I see. Today, as we look at this story of Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry, it's a story that you've heard over and over and over. You're, you're super familiar with it. What Pastor Brian and I want to do today is, is point out some things that maybe you've never noticed before. Some things in this story that maybe you had never seen. As Jesus entered Jerusalem, he had some very specific instructions for his disciples. That's one of the first things that I notice. As Jesus enters the city, he has some very specific instructions for his disciples. In Matthew 21, 1 to 3, it says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you were doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. Jesus had some very specific, some very clear instructions for his disciples about where to go and what to do and what to say. God still does the same thing for us today. God speaks every single day. The question is, are we willing to listen? I've been following Jesus for 29 years now. And in those 29 years, I have never heard the audible voice of God like you're hearing my voice right now. But I've heard him speak. I've heard him speak over and over. Sometimes God speaks through scripture. As you're reading the Bible, sometimes something will jump out at you and God will speak to you through scripture. Sometimes God speaks through the Holy Spirit. We could spend a whole lot of time talking about what that looks like. And sometimes God speaks through other people. A couple of weeks ago, we took a group of about 65 middle school and high school students uh, on our annual winter retreat. We called it the, the winter weekend. We were at this place called Lake Champion. And there were well over 300 students at this retreat. Saturday night, something 
amazing happened. The speaker had all the students stand. And he, he, he asked them to just be prepared to receive prayer and, and to receive a word from God. And then the adult leaders waded into this sea of students and began praying over students. Pastor Lance, who's our, our lead youth pastor, found one particular student, not one of ours, a student from another church who he didn't know, and he put his hand on this student's shoulder and just started praying. And after a minute, the, the, the student stopped him and said, how, how do you know this about me? And Pastor Lance said, I'm, I'm just praying what I hear the Spirit saying. And the student told him, what, what you are saying to me right now is, is this is something that I've been wrestling with for, for quite a while. How, how do you know this? And Lance said, this, it's just, it's what the Holy Spirit is telling me. God spoke through Pastor Lance into the life of that student. He spoke into the life of that student through Pastor Lance. God is speaking every single day. Sometimes he speaks to you. Sometimes he will speak through you. Sometimes he will speak through you to someone else, to another person, to, to bless them, to, to reveal something about himself. When Jesus enters our lives, he has instructions for us. Sometimes those instructions are for you, things for you to do, things for you to learn. But sometimes he has instructions for someone else. Will you listen and will you do what he tells you? The second thing I notice uh, is that uh, as Jesus enters Jerusalem, he does it to fulfill God's promise. Jesus entered Jerusalem to fulfill a promise of God. God has made promises to us. He has made a multitude of promises to us. Now, sometimes people will say, you know, Scripture, it's, it's so hard to understand. It's, it's, it's confusing. It, it's hard to know what it means. You can interpret it in, in different ways. Hebrews 6.18 says this. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to lie. That's pretty clear. There's nothing ambiguous or hard to understand. It is impossible for God to lie. So when God speaks, when God makes a promise, he will keep that promise because it is impossible for God to lie. As we look at Jesus entering the city, Matthew 21, 4 to 5, says this took place, right? The, this is not just Jesus entering the city, but entering the city the way he did on the donkey's colt. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. When Jesus told his disciples to, to, to go into the village to get him a colt, he wasn't just giving them something to do. He, he wasn't just making things up. He, he wasn't even just looking for a ride. He was fulfilling a scriptural prophecy. He was fulfilling a promise of God. Zechariah 9.9 9 says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Jesus' goal was to fulfill prophecy, to keep 
the promises of God because God always keeps his promises. He's made promises to us. Let me give you just, just five promises. God has made a multitude of promises to us. Let me just show you just five promises that God has made. One promise that God has made to us is that he gives strength to the weary. We've had a wearisome couple of years. There's been a lot going on. Maybe you've been feeling that recently. In Isaiah 40, 31, it says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. When you put your faith, your hope, and your trust in Jesus, he will renew your strength. That is a promise of God, that he will renew your strength. A second promise he gives us is that his love never fails. God's love for you never fails. Maybe right now you're feeling like things are kind of falling apart. Maybe you feel like it's just too much for God to handle right now. Maybe you're feeling unlovable right now. But Isaiah 54.10 says, For the mountains may move and the hills disappear, but even then my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord who has mercy on you. Even when it feels like your world is, is crumbling around you, his love for you never fails. You are loved by God right now, where you are, as you are. You are loved by God. That is a promise of God. A third promise he gives us is that he forgives us. He forgives us. Maybe you feel like some of the things that you've been through uh, is just too much for God to forgive. Maybe you're feeling like something that you've done is just too big, it's just too much for God to forgive. Hear this, know this. You are forgiven because of Jesus. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not from some unrighteousness, not from just certain things. He is faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. There is nothing that is too big that God cannot or will not forgive. Because of God's great love for you, you are forgiven that is a promise of God. A fourth promise that he makes to us. He will never forsake you. God will never forsake you. There is nothing you can do to make God abandon you or to stop loving you. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. That is a promise of God. That he will neither fail you nor abandon you. Romans 8, 38 and 39 makes it even more emphatic. 
It says, and I am convinced. Not, I kind of like to think, or, or sometimes it sort of feels like, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. There is nothing you can do to make God abandon you. God is with you. That is a promise of God. And then a fifth promise he makes to us. This one's a little challenging. He promises us that all things work together for good. Now, that doesn't mean that everything is going to be good. Maybe you've been dealing with some really difficult things. Maybe you're struggling to understand why. John 16, 33. Jesus says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. We're going to have trouble. There is going to be difficulty. That's, that's just life in a broken and fallen world. But Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That doesn't mean that everything is good. In January of 1991, I got recalled to active duty for, uh, for the army for Operation Desert Storm. I was going to war. That wasn't good. Spring of 1998, I was diagnosed with stage two cancer. I spent spring and summer of 98 doing chemotherapy. That wasn't good. May of 2018, I stood in my neighbor's yard and I watched my house and everything in it literally go up in flames in a massive house fire. No one got hurt, but we lost everything. That wasn't good. And yet, in each of those events, I saw God bring about amazing good. Because I was going to war in 1991 and facing the very real possibility of my own death, I began this spiritual search that eventually led me to Jesus. That was good. Ten years after finishing chemotherapy, I became an EMT. And as I sat in the back of an ambulance with patients who were going through chemo, I was able to speak with them with firsthand knowledge about what they were experiencing physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I could bring them comfort. That's good. I remember as I watched my house burn, I stood in my neighbor's yard and just watched everything go up in flames. And I experienced the peace of God, that peace that surpasses understanding. A neighbor from up the hill came running down the road, literally freaking out right in front of me. Oh my God! Like literally ran past me screaming. <laughs> it's weird. Because of Jesus, 
I was able to not only experience the peace of God, I was able to demonstrate that peace for others to see. People still ask me today, how, how were you able to stay so calm through all of that? And I'm able to say, let me tell you about Jesus. That's good. That's good. Even in the really difficult things, God brings good. That is a promise of God. We know that it is impossible for God to lie. And we know that he will keep each and every one of those promises. The question is, will you receive them? When Jesus enters our lives, it's always for a reason. When Jesus enters our lives, it is always good. Jesus entered Jerusalem to fulfill a promise of God. He has entered your life to do the same thing. To fulfill the promises of God in your life. Will you receive them? Will you trust God enough to let him fulfill those promises in your life? Pastor Brian's going to point out a couple more things that we notice in this story. Uh, he's going to start with a really cool illustration from his family farm. Check out this video. Hey, friends. You know, as I was thinking about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, his triumphant entry, we've been talking about how Jesus enters into the city and what we can learn about how he enters into our life. When I look at Jesus riding into Jerusalem, I see that he enters to bring peace. I love the fact that he rides in on a donkey. I know a little something about donkeys. Welcome to our farm. And these are our two donkeys right here. This one's Clover and this one here is Sadie. And Sadie is the mom of Clover. Sadie's about 17 years old and Clover is about 10 years old. And so I know a little bit about donkeys. Let me share some things about donkeys with you. I didn't know all this before owning them. You know, they can live up to 50 years. We didn't know that we would have to put them in our will, but apparently that's what we're gonna have to do. I also love too that they have these big ears and these ears they use in the desert to help cool themselves. They're like big radiators, but also they can hear up to 60 miles away when another animal's in distress or another donkey calls. I love that about them too. They also are protective. They protect one another. They don't run away from danger. They actually will run into it. And so they're, they're uh, strong and they're bold. I like that about them too. But also you'll notice on their backs is this black line that goes all the way down their back and across their shoulders. And it, it's a, a picture of the cross. And I love how Jesus chose a donkey that was already marked with the cross as he rode into Jerusalem to the cross. Amazing. You know, I wonder why did Jesus choose a donkey? I think there are a few different reasons. The first is this. I believe in this moment as he's riding to Jerusalem, he's declaring that he is king. He was riding in in a little bit of a different way. Most kings would ride on a war horse, probably how Herod rode in a few days before Jesus did, declaring who he was, that he was this war hero, that he was this powerful man, this power over kind of king. But Jesus came in a different way, but he was still declaring that he is king. I also really love how Jesus in, in the scriptures, it says this about the donkey. It says that the donkey had never been ridden before. To me, this just says that, that, the, that Jesus rode this donkey in. He was bringing in a brand new kingdom, never ridden before. He was going to bring in something that had never been seen before. And finally, you know, it wasn't 
out of the norm for a king to ride a donkey. In fact, they would ride a donkey when they was in a season of peace. And so he chose a donkey to express the kind of kingdom that he was bringing in. And also I think he was expressing the way to bring his kingdom in. It comes through peace. It comes through serving. It comes through sacrifice. You know, friends, this Easter, I hope that you are filled with peace, the peace that passes understanding. I pray that you would experience the peace of Jesus Christ, that as we see Jesus enter into Jerusalem, we see him bringing peace. But I pray that as you get to know Jesus, he would bring peace into your life, peace into your circumstances, peace into your hurts, maybe into your brokenness, peace into your relationships, that this is our King Jesus who chose to ride a donkey into Jerusalem, that you might know that he comes to bring peace. A lot going on in that video, right? <laughs> Go back and watch that. There are a couple little surprise entrances and dogs barking and things like that. You know, Becca and I, we, we rescued these donkeys uh, several years ago. You know, we feed them every day. We clean out their stalls uh, morning and night just for that moment right there, just for that moment. So we hope that, that you, uh, you enjoyed that. I love that when Jesus enters, he enters to bring peace. He enters to bring peace. When Jesus enters your life, he enters to bring peace. You know, I think the myth is that, well, when God enters our life, he comes to bring condemnation or guilt or shame. But when Jesus comes, he actually comes to bring peace. I love how later on in, in the story of Jesus' death and resurrection in Luke's gospel, chapter 24, we read of the story about these travelers on the road to Emmaus. They're headed in the wrong direction. Jesus, the risen Jesus, comes and walks alongside them, but they don't recognize him. He opens the word of God with them. Finally, they have a meal together. When they do, these people, they, they see that it's Jesus, and they're amazed by it. They say, weren't our hearts burning within us as he opened the word of God with us? And then they head back to Jerusalem to go tell the other disciples. Once they get to the other disciples, they're telling them all about what happened. You're never going to believe this. Jesus showed up on the road with us. He was opening the word of God with us. And as they're sharing this with the other disciples, Jesus appears in the room. Just appears in the room. Now, you have to remember that these disciples weren't at the cross, most of them. Many of them had walked away, gone in the other direction, going in the wrong direction. One of them denied Jesus three times. And now Jesus enters into the room. What's he going to say to them? What's going to be the first things out of his mouth? Shame be on you for leaving me. Guilt be upon you for what you've just done. No. He says, peace be with you. My peace. Peace be with you. Now, this is actually one of the gifts that God wants us all to experience, and it comes through knowing Jesus Christ. Peace be with you. When you enter a relationship with Jesus, you get to experience his great peace. As Pastor Greg so put it so well, even in difficult circumstances, he brings his peace. Fourth and final thing that we want to share with you is this, is that when Jesus enters, he enters to help. He enters to help. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem, outside the gates, the crowds of people are crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. 
this great cry on Palm Sunday. They call him the son of David. Do you know in Matthew's gospel, in the very first verse, you see this word, this title used, son of David. Matthew starts his gospel by saying, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So very, in the very beginning of Matthew's gospel, he's using this language of Jesus being called the son of David. David was the king of Israel. David was promised by God that from his line would come a king whose kingdom would last forever. This is a prophetic word placed over David that someone was coming, a Messiah was coming, a ruler, a leader, a king was coming whose kingdom would never end. Now you put it into the age of kings and kingdoms, all kings came to an end. Every kingdom came to an end. But there would be one who would usher in a kingdom that would last forever. Be waiting for this one. Now Jesus is born in Bethlehem. This is the same place where David was born. Now all of a sudden you're beginning to see these ties. This is why Matthew in his gospel, he gives the genealogy of Jesus. And it ties him to King David. That he is the son of David. He's the one that... This, the word prophesied about this Messiah that would come. And so the title of Son of David speaks to Jesus being that person, the Messiah, the long-awaited one who would bring in a kingdom that would never end. Son of David. But the cry is Hosanna to the Son of David. And this word Hosanna means save us or deliver us or help us. In fact, actually, there's a bit more urgency on it. I think the best translations would be, save us now. Deliver us now. Help us now. It was coming from this posture of desperation. We need saving. We need rescuing. We need deliverance. We need help now. And Jesus comes in to help. He enters to help what Jesus does as he enters into Jerusalem and goes to the cross and rises from the dead, he comes to help. Why does Jesus enter to help? Well, Jesus enters to help first to address our biggest problem. Do you know all of us have a big, big problem? <laughs> that we have sin in our life. This is just a way of saying that we cause separation between us and God. We're not perfect people. Actually, we do things and say things and act in ways that cause separation from a holy God. And therefore, God sends us his son, him, himself coming, that he would pay the price of our sin on the cross. That when we confess in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. They're cast as far as the east is from the west. And so Jesus comes to help us out of our biggest problem, that we could be forgiven from our sin but Jesus also comes to help because he wants to help us in our biggest need. And our biggest need is we need a relationship with our creator. We need to know the presence of God. We are created in such a way to be in the presence of God, to, to worship him. We are created in such a way that we are to be connected with our creator. 
Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, he came to help to reconnect us to the Father. This is our biggest need. I wonder how will we respond in this Easter season to all that Jesus has done for us. He's come to help. I think oftentimes we we think, well, we can just do it all on our own, or I don't need any help. I remember just a couple years ago, I was running a learn to skate program in Watertown with my brother. And we had 50 kids on the ice at one time. It was crazy, and none of them knew how to skate. And so we had a bunch of different helpers, and we invited some of the parents out who knew how to skate so that they could help. I remember um, this man, Paul, a, a father, introducing himself to me and saying, hey, I'd love to come out and help you. And I think, great, this is wonderful. Paul, do you know how to skate? And Paul said, oh, yeah, 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 I know how to skate. I'm, I, you know, then he gave me this whole thing. Basically, you know, he, he thought he was in the NHL and was the leading scorer, right? But he, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I know how to skate. Don't worry about me. And I, I noticed him putting on his skates, and they look like tennis shoes with like butter knives on the bottom of them. And I'm beginning to think, I don't think Paul knows how to skate. Paul gets out there, and he's falling all over the place. He's of no help to me whatsoever, I keep going over to Paul. I say, hey, Paul, Paul, do you need some help? No, 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 no. I got this. I love when people say, I got this. I love it. No, no, I'm good. I love when people say that too. I'm good. I'm good. I got this. Paul was out there the whole time. He didn't help a single kid because he's on his hands and knees for an entire hour. It got to the point where now I'm stubborn too. I'm like, I'm not going to help Paul. Listen, I offered help. He didn't want help. The door's open and the Zamboni's coming to clear off the ice. And Paul, okay? That's what's gonna happen here. Those blades are coming, Paul, all right? Finally, out of the grace and mercy in my heart, I went over and I said, Paul, do you need some help? He said, fine. He's like, yeah, I could use some help. And I picked Paul up like a baby and walked him over, you know, to the edge. You know, sometimes I think in our life, we think, I got this, I'm good. Really? What if we were to to drop our stubbornness? What if we were to drop this Easter season our hard hearts and actually look at this honestly and say, wow, I'm a sinner. Wow, I do things that that separate me from God, that, that distance me from the Lord. Wow, Hosanna to the son of David. Help me. Now, save me now, rescue me now. I am desperately in need of help. Jesus, come, walk with me. Jesus, come, heal me, minister to me. Friends, this Easter season, we want you to know that Jesus enters to speak to you. Will you listen to him? He enters your life to to bless you with great promises. Will you receive them? He enters to bring you peace. Will you see it? He enters to help you. Will you welcome it? We pray that the Lord might take you on this journey this Easter, that you might discover more of who this Jesus is, and that you might welcome his help. I pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, at this time, I'm going to invite our worship team to come back forward, and we have this great opportunity to worship 
And we also have our, our movement uh, team that's gonna come and, and dance as well. And so we just wanna encourage you to reflect and, and ask the Lord to speak to you in this time. But let me pray for us as we get prepared for that. Lord, we're so thankful that you enter, that you've come, and Lord, that you're moving. We're so thankful that you speak to us, so thankful that you've given us great promises to stand on. We're so thankful that when you come, Lord, you bring your peace. And Lord, we're thankful that you come to help. Lord, I pray that we'd all be in a posture of of looking up and saying, yeah, I could use some help. Yes, Lord, come. Hosanna, son of David, come. Move in our lives. Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us even now in your precious name. Amen, amen.